podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome back to the Two-Footed Podcast on Thursday, October the 29th, brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at libertyshield.com. Hope you're all well today. It's a wet and windy one here in Ireland, so we'll get started. And the big news today is that Burnley are on the verge of being taken over by Mohammer El Kashashi and Chris Farnell uh, in a £200 million deal, which you know seems a little bit undervalued to me for a Premier League team. That's the price of a Neymar. So you're getting a full football club stadium and the lot. It, you know, it does seem a little bit undervalued for me. Now, I don't know much about El Kishashi, but Chris Farnell is the guy who was the club secretary at Charlton and was involved in the failed takeover of Paul Elliott, and was widely regarded as as, as what people would call a wrong one. Um, whether or not he's he's obviously not the money behind this deal, you'd imagine that is coming from Al Kashashi, who's an Egyptian businessman. But it, it is concerning that somebody who was banned from owning an EFL club is apparently good to go to buy a Premier League club this does raise big questions about the suitability of the owners and directors test um, they are now waiting for the outcome of that test they have given their proof of, of funding and it looks like there's very few things that could trip this deal up now there is an alternative group ALK Capital they're also in the mix to try and buy Burnley. They've been negotiating with Mike Garlick and co for a little bit of time now. So it does appear that Burnley are about to get taken over and that could be good, it could be bad. Burnley are one of the best run clubs in the league. There's no question about that. However, their ownership don't really have the money to fund them as a Premier League team. There's been, obviously I've talked about it a lot, but there's been a lot of talk in the media that Sean Dyche and Mike Garlick, that the relationship has become quite strained because of the lack of funding this summer, uh, where they spent less than one million to bring in Dale Stevens, And that was that was it, really. They brought in a backup goalkeeper, uh, Will Norris from Wolves, but that was on a free transfer. So this could mean that there's more money made available uh, to Sean Dyche, that ownership are going to to look to be more ambitious you know to become a regular top half team rather than top half one year then drop off top half the next and drop off again which is what they've sort of done over over the last four years it remains to be seen though 
what the methods of purchase are here and whether or not these people are just buying the club because they're a Premier League club. What would happen if they went down with these guys in charge? Do they have the funding to keep some of the important players, bring in players to replace the likes of Pope, Tarkovsky and McNeil, who you would imagine would leave if they were relegated? Or would it be a case where if they go down, they just asset strip the club, sell off everybody and anything that they can, and then just try to become a run-of-the-mill championship team um, and be happy with that? They'd get most of their investment back by selling McNeil, who you'd imagine will bring in somewhere in the region of 50, maybe even 60 million, depending on who wants him. I think Pope is 40 to 45 million if he gets a move next summer. And Tarkovsky, I think, is probably in the same boat. If Harry Maguire went for 80 million, I don't think 45 for Tarkovsky is beyond the realms of possibility. Now, it, he is going to get a little bit older. He'll be 29 next summer. West Ham were in from this summer. It's believed Leicester looked at him strongly. But I think Leicester's interest was only when they weren't sure if they could get Fafana. Fafana was the clear number one target there. So it does remain to be seen what, what will happen with these owners, what they can bring to the club, what sort of financial situation they have themselves. I mean, is El Kashashi a mega rich guy who's going to put even 50 to 100 million aside for, for transfers? Does he have that type of wealth? I don't know. Um, I would imagine that the guys on the Price of Football podcast will do a proper deep dive into them. So I would, I would always highly recommend listening to that podcast. Um, Kevin and Kieran, they're in- incredibly good at what they do. And Kieran's knowledge of and his, his, his ability to root out information on people is, is quite something. So uh, make sure you check that out. I'd imagine they'll do a show probably today, um, which may have some information on this deal on who these owners are and if not today i'd say monday's show they do monday thursday as far as i can remember um so check out that but yeah burnley getting taken over it could be exciting it could be very very exciting but you would always urge caution especially with the the situation with farnell where he was banned from buying a football league club after his involvement in the situation at charlton he played a part in almost putting Charlton to the wall. So how good he is at what he does, I don't know. But, you know, you have to judge him on what he does from here. Um, Next thing's next. Champions League last night and a couple of interesting results for Premier League teams. Chelsea went to Russia and um, were very, very comfortable winners. Didn't think they played particularly well for the first 75 minutes but when Lampard made some changes shape wise and personnel wise they did get better and they did run away very comfortable a 4-0 win for Chelsea um Hudson-Odoi got them started in the first half Werner, Zayic and Pulisic with late goals good to see Zayic getting his first goal good to see Pulisic back up and running you know Looking a bit more like himself. Great to see Callum Hudson-Odoi getting the start and getting a goal. 
He is so talented. I mean, there is there is no question that this Chelsea team, from an attacking point of view, has incredible talent. Talent to match pretty much any team in Europe. The question is whether Frank can harness it all into one team, whether he can rotate to keep everybody happy, and whether or not he's actually good enough to get the best out of them. All of those things remain to be seen. It's a good result. Anytime you go to Russia and win 4-0, it's a good result. Anytime you go to Russia and win at all, it's a good result. And, and this was a good result. Uh, not to be out, outdone, Manchester United then faced RB Leipzig. And it, it started badly for Leipzig when Nagelsmann rocked out in that suit. That was a questionable moment, but... All things considered, this was a very tight game until about 60. United were ahead 1-0. Mason Greenwood with the goal. He was offside. If Sadio Mane is offside in the Merseyside derby, this is offside. His foot is beyond the last defender. But it's not given. It's a great finish. He is an incredible finisher. He's destined for greatness, that kid. So. They're 1-0 ahead. And then changes get made on both teams. United bring on Marcus Rashford. And after a couple of months of embarrassing government ministers, the prime minister, everybody involved in the decisions made to not extend the free school meals policy through the summers through the summer through the next holidays for Halloween through Christmas and etc etc having taken the Tory party and basically slapped them around the place for the last couple of months uh, Marcus Rashford may now face a prison term for just complete murder of of the RB Leipzig defence he wiped the floor with them and absolutely incredible performance from Marcus Rashford last night. In the 30 or so minutes he was on the pitch, he was a level above everybody else around him. Everybody else. He was just different class altogether. He tore them apart from the minute he came on. United did have other good performers on the night. Um, Fred played very well. Pogba had easily his best performance of the season. Van de Beek had moments where he looked good, but he drifted through a lot of the game. Um, Leipzig played a very, very weird system where they seemed to just forget to put any central midfielders in. They basically played two wingers on each side, or you know, full back and a winger on one side and two wingers on the other. Back three, Kevin Campbell, nothing in midfield, loads of width, and... Paulson and Forsberg up front. Forsberg, a couple of years ago, was a real force. And he was linked with a lot of top clubs and didn't get his move and has completely gone off the boil. Uh, he looked like a player gone off the boil last night, it must be said. But for 60, that Leipzig team did did match United. United still looked a little bit more threatening. But you did feel like Leipzig had a little bit of something about them. And when the changes happened and he made the decision to bring off Heinrichs and Kunku and Campbell, 
and replace them with three strikers and then have no midfield. And whatever he was thinking, I don't know, that completely threw Leipzig off. And as soon as Rashford got his first goal, you could almost see the bricks beginning to fall away for Leipzig. And the second goal came. And then he won the penalty for Martial. And then he got his own third. And United scored four goals in the last 15 minutes, 16 minutes. A well-deserved victory. 5-0 flattered them. Like, they weren't five goals better on the night. Um, They were probably three goals better on the night. But they did really perform very, very well. And Rashford was sensational. If you haven't seen the game, don't even bother going back and watching the full game. Go and watch from, I think it's 62 minutes or so, he comes on. And just watch his performance. Watch him make Dale Upamecano, who I'm a massive fan of. I think he's one of the best young defenders in the world. Just watch Marcus Rashford make him look like someone who won a raffle to be on the pitch. It is sensational what he does. He's he's a tremendous player. Between him and Greenwood, if United want to stick with a front two, I would play him and Greenwood and then have Martial as the one that kind of rotates in. Um, but I think him and Greenwood are, are the two. They, for the long term, they're going to be so special together. And they both suit playing in that too. I think both Rashford and Martial work better on the left of the front two, and Rashford's the better player. Um, Greenwood is better on the right of the front two, and then you have Cavani, who can be kind of his backup, or the fourth striker, and you still have your depth. So, all things considered, that striking group for United is is really, really good. I... I still think they'd be better off going to something of a 3-4-1-2 three, three, and playing the front two mentioned, Greenwood and Rashford, Martial and, and um, Cavani in reserve, and then Bruno behind with Van de Beek in reserve. Then you've got, in the midfield, I, Pogba and Fred are the two. Um, and then you've got McTominay and Matic, who can be your backups. Now, what they would need is a, is a right wing back, but you can play Brandon Williams there. I actually think you could probably stick Dan James there and get away with it in certain games. Alex Teller is much more suited to being a left wing back than a left back. And then Luke Shaw and Juan Bissaka, I think are ideal outside centre-backs to the back three. It'll also give Maguire more protection. It'll suit Maguire better. I think that's what they should be looking to do. We have seen them go to a back three in recent weeks, and it worked really well against PSG. United are just a weird team at the minute. They're just so weird. They they go out in Europe, they beat PSG, they wallop Leipzig, and yet in the league, they're dreadful. They were awful against Palace, awful against Brighton. Fairly turgid for about 65 to 70 minutes against Newcastle before kicking into gear. Um, horrendous against Spurs. I mean, as bad a performance as you'll ever see. Dreadful against Chelsea. It's the five league games, and they've got about 25, 30 minutes of good football in five league games. But yet, in the Champions League, if you didn't know better, you'd think they were the favourites to win the whole thing. I was talking to a friend of mine last night, and I said, I actually think if it wasn't for Oli, I actually think I'd throw money on them to win the Champions League this year because they're that type of team that have a lethal attack 
they've got dogs in midfield who will work all day, the likes of Fred, the likes of Matic, the likes of McTominay. Then they've got Pogba who can sprinkle that bit of quality when the mood takes them. And last night it definitely took him. Last night Paul Pogba was Paul Pogba. So you do have that little extra bit of class in midfield with him. And they've got a defence that the individual pieces are better than the collective unit. But if you can find the shape that works for them, maybe you are the outside team that can just catch other teams by surprise. That teams might take a little bit lightly. And with that attack, you can just outscore them. United will outscore most teams when it clicks. Problem is, it doesn't always click. It hasn't clicked yet in the league, other than the last couple of minutes at Newcastle. Um, I think Ollie holds them back a little bit. And look, as always last night after the win, you get the usual suspects coming out and bleating about how he's much better than people make him out to be. But if he was, his team wouldn't be getting beaten 6-1 by Spurs, they wouldn't be getting comprehensively outplayed by Brighton, they wouldn't be getting smacked around by Crystal Palace. And I don't want to hear anything about the short break. Everybody got the same kind of break. They might have got a week less, a Crimea River. They had plenty of opportunity. They looked unmotivated, they had no plan, and they haven't had a plan in any Premier League game so far. You watch them play, there's absolutely no tactical plan. It's almost like the entire focus on the Champions League and the Premier League is secondary. Now, maybe that is the case. But I'm not buying the uh, the Ollie stock. So you can you can all sell it among yourselves if you want. But I'm having none of it. Um, right. I Lee Scott was meant to join us today. He is still having uh, connection problems. They're installing fibre on the street he lives on. So um, I asked for some Twitter questions. And... We've got a few. So, uh, Adam Petruccione, uh, how many teams will be in the title race by March? Three. Liverpool, City and Spurs. And if I'm being honest, I know I picked Liverpool to win the league. But I kind of feel like Spurs might be the team that does it. I just look at their squad and Lloris is the big one. If they lose him, they are in trouble because Gassanig is all right. Joe Hart is awful. But they've got pretty much two options for everywhere else. Now, I'm not a fan of Eric Dyer, but it is working at the minute. I I reckon a couple of more weeks and he'll fall out of the team and they'll be better. But they've got two good fullback options on both sides. They've got a ton of options in midfield. And they're just loaded in attack. Like, you consider... Mora, Kane, and Son are the three starting at the moment. They have Bale, Bergwin, and uh, Carlos Vinicius as depth options. I think, I think Spurs are a real contender this year. It all depends on Jose. Or Jose, I should say. It all depends on him. If he is old-school Jose they have a real chance. If he becomes the second season at Ch- sorry, third season at Chelsea when it all fell apart and then the United version of himself, it's going to end badly and he could he could end up ruining it all in the span of a couple of weeks. But to me he looks much happier at Chelsea or at Spurs than he has in a long time. And I would include not just his time at United, but his time at Chelsea and his time 
at Real Madrid. I think he looks really happy, really refreshed, really reinvigorated. They backed him with everything he asked for and more. I mean, they got him everybody he wanted and they added Gareth Bale to it. So a motivated Jose is a dangerous proposition for their teams. I think there'll be three. Yeah, I think there'll be three. Liverpool, City and Spurs. But Liverpool need to buy a centre-back in January and City need to sort something out because their form is inconsistent. Um, a couple of questions here then about uh, about Liverpool, the situation centre-back. Lee Cox and Andy the Red 83. Uh, if Matip isn't fit for West Ham, who should start? They both pretty much asked the same question. Uh, Reese Williams is my, my pick. Uh, I think... He's looked composed in his performances so far. I think he's good in the air. He's a big physical presence. I think that's what you're going to need to cope with Sebastian Haller. I don't really have a concern about him dealing with the physical side of things. He's played in the lower leagues. Um, he's played non-league. He, get, he got kicked plenty. So I think I think Reese Williams is the one I would go for. Um, tra- Travis, I'm not even going to try and pronounce the rest of it Zavala Travis Zavala did someone sneak in and at, at night and put a curse on all her important defenders uh yes I would I would guess so I would guess so that like, it's the only thing that can explain how Liverpool find themselves with one centre-back um plus youngsters at this point in the season uh Umang asks can any team threaten to go on strike unless the entire refereeing process VAR is reviewed or challenged, and there are assurances from the FA and refs that there will be better communication and ownership and accountability for the mistakes made. Can they go on strike? I mean, they could, but it it wouldn't help things. All you'd end up doing is getting yourself deducted points. Um, I, I, I agree with the sentiment, and I think it would take a united front from all the clubs for something like that to be to be taken seriously or to, to be effective. I think if you do it by yourself, I think you end up looking like you're just a little bit sour, like you're a sore loser, like you're not accepting the result. And while it is frustrating, and it was hugely frustrating against uh, Everton for Liverpool, uh, it was frustrating when we saw the, the Fabinho penalty wasn't even a foul. There's been a bunch of others. We've seen you know Harry Maguire getting away with the wrestling of Aspilicueta. It is all frustrating, but at the same time, just play better. Just do better. You know, if it's coming down to the fine margins in certain games, you just haven't done enough. Right, Jake Jackman asks, which players at non-top six teams do you think will be the next to get big moves, either in January or next summer? I mean, the obvious thing will be to look at Leicester, because they have... Madison, Barnes, Tielemans, Ndidi, Sayonchu, Pereira, Fafana now. They have a whole bunch of immense players, but my hope is that they manage to keep a lot of that together and they don't sell them. And they won't be under much pressure because they already sold Chilwell. They already sold Maguire. They've banked quite a bit. And obviously, their outgoings in the summer, they bought Castanier and they bought Fafana. They brought in under on loan, but... I still think they'll have plenty in the bank, so I wouldn't imagine they'll be under a huge amount of pressure to sell. 
I think Declan Rice is a is a, a good candidate for this. Um, we know that Chelsea have strong interest in him. We know that he's a little bit frustrated with certain things going on at West Ham. Um, I, I think he's a, a good candidate for that. Tariq Lamptey could be one. If if United do decide to go to wing-backs, he could be one that they look at because he would suit that very, very well. Um, he won't like this. Alan St. Maximum, I could see him getting a big move. I could see somebody gambling on that talent and just hoping that they could find even more consistency from him. Because that is the only thing that really holds him back a little bit, is is he can be inconsistent. Talent-wise, he is sensational. He's so much fun to watch. Um, I think he is a contender. I mentioned the Burnley 3 earlier, but I think I think they might be a little bit lower down on this. Sander Berger could be one. He is a fantastic all-round midfielder. Uh, he is really, really good. And when, they, when Sheffield United got him, that was quite the coup for them to get him. He was seen as a player that could go to Liverpool, United, he was linked to Arsenal at one point. And I do think there'll be a lot of interest in him. I think Zaha, I think I think the time has passed. I think Grealish, it looks like he's locked in where he is. Yeah, I think say Maximum, Dex, Declan Rice, Sander Berger, there's a possibility of Richarlison, but I don't think Everton will sell. I think and I think he's quite happy there. He's obviously really, really good. But outside of the Leicester boys, they're the ones I, I go for. Um, Tio Saki asks, who are your sleeper picks for the Champions League? Do you know what's interesting? The Champions League this year has been really, really strange. There's teams I expected to do an awful lot better than they have done. Um, You look at Group A, Bayern are obviously one of the favourites to win the competition. I don't think that would, that would be a surprise to anybody. Atletico Madrid won't win it. They they just aren't where they were. They've got... Joe Felix is obviously sensational, but they've just got a lack of talent in key areas that's holding them back. If Inter Milan could get out of that group, and I do think they will get out of that group in Group B... They could be a sleeper pick. Now, maybe maybe they wouldn't class as a sleeper pick, but I do really like Conte, and I do think there's a lot of talent there. He's, his insistence on playing some of the older players who aren't good enough anymore it does concern me, but I think Inter Milan could be one. And United. As strange as it sounds, I do think Man United are, are, are worth considering. Now, look, it may still all go completely wrong and they may still manage to muck it up and knock it out of that group they still have to go to Leipzig PSG will go to Old Trafford so there is possibility there that they you know that they will make a mess of it they'll they'll beat Besiktas you'd imagine but no I I actually think United are, are worth maybe worth an outside flutter to be honest um Tom on the cop if Liverpool were to sign one of Mbappe uh, or Haaland, how do you think they would change the system? Uh, ideally, I think they would go to something resembling a 4-4-2 and play uh, Salah plus 
Haaland or Mbappe up front, Mane on one wing, and as things stand, Jota on the other. Um, that's what I would do. That's what I think they'll do. They've been shifting things around a little bit recently with the four-two-three-one. So, and they went four across the midfield against Ajax at one point. So it maybe maybe that's what they will do. Um, Raj Chonin, ceilings of these under French under twenty-three centre backs ranked highest to lowest. Oh, this is tough. So he's given me Upamecano, Kanate. Kunde, Kouassi, Zagadou, Badiashila, Fafana, Saliba, and Bubakar Kamara. Um, I'll come back to that. Mark Penfold asked, is the current format of the Champions League gone stale? And Lee Cox then asks, which will we see first, a reformed Premier League or a reform, reformed Champions League? So uh, those are similar enough questions. I do think it's gone a little bit stale. I genuinely do find that it's a little bit stale, and I think the group stages have become a little bit boring. Um, I don't know what the way to rectify it is, though. I really don't know what the way to rectify it is. Whether you would put teams in groups of eight, like, and then have everybody play each other once, drawn at random, Maybe. I don't know. I do think it has gone stale, genuinely. Uh, I, I also think we'll see a reformed English Football League um, before we see a reformed Champions League, though. I do think we're going to see the Premier League drop to 18 teams. Um, Bobby Nola asks, why has Jonathan's, Jonathan Taz's stock fallen? He's still only 24. Jonathan Taz is a really interesting one because physically he is an absolute monster. He has all the tools to be a top-class centre-back, but for whatever reason, at Leipzig, over a period of about three years, he just really stagnated. He became quite hesitant as well. It was it was strange. When he broke through at Hamburg, <clears throat> the one thing you could be guaranteed with him is he was super aggressive. And like he would manhandle attackers. He would dominate them in the air. He'd bundle them out of his way. He'd show them very little respect. He was And that he was 18 at the time, and he was just super aggressive. And now... He's become quite a passive defender, and I think that's the reason. What what the cause of that is, I don't know, but I do think that's why he's stagnated and not developed into what he should have become, which was, in truth, when him and Nicolas Sula were coming through, he was the more talented one. And now Nicolas Sula is several, several levels ahead of him because Sula's very aggressive and Ta isn't. I, I think it's down to that. Um, looks good on paper. Felix asks... Who did Burnley look to post Sean Dyche? I think Alex Neal would be worth considering there. Um, he's done he's done good work. And I think if you're looking to bring them back up, I think Alex Neal is worth considering there. Uh, Willology, do you think it's possible that Tangai and Dembele can show his best form under Mourinho? And more widely, how do you see Mourinho panning out in the medium and long term? Um Yes, I do think it's possible that Endembele can. I think we've seen flashes of it this season. I think we've seen more already this season than we saw in all of last season. It's just about consistency with him. He needs to get a little bit stronger, a little bit more physical, and then he just needs to find that consistency in his game. But I do. As for Jose, at medium term, I think he'll he'll bring them success. And then long term, I think he'll, he'll blow it all up and make a mess of things because that's what he does. 
Um, Shamik asks, WTF are United doing in the Champions League? This is what I was talking about earlier on. Incredible in the Champions League. Awful in the Premier League. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Unless Ollie is just sitting down and putting all his... um, all his focus on the Champions League, then I, I really don't know. I really, really don't know. Uh, and Alex Wilson um, asks, if you could choose any centre-back to bring in as cover for Virgil van Dijk, who would you go for a short-term option or someone you could develop? I would go for Ibrahim Kanate of uh, RB Leipzig. I think from a physical standpoint, he is the prototypical Jurgen Klopp centre-back, dominant in the air, quick over the ground, strong in the tackle, decent on the ball, a good passer. I think he'd be easier to get than Upamecano. Upamecano's sensational, but if we rewind a year, most people looked at the two, most people that regularly watched them and said Kanate had the higher ceiling. Now, he's had a number of injuries, probably more than a year. It could be two years. It could be two years, in fairness, but Upamecano has kind of skyrocketed in the time that Kanate has been out injured. But before that, Kanate was the one. And I think, to me, he still is. Liverpool tried to hijack the deal for Wesley Fafana in the summer, but couldn't offer them the playing time, or couldn't offer them playing time that he wanted. So, to me, Kanate would be an obvious one. Right. Ranking the ceilings of the centre-backs. I'm going to put Zagadou bottom. And I'm going to put Saliba above him. I'm going to put Koyase above him. So he's third from bottom. Badi Ashil next. I think that's really hard. See, Bubakar Kamara, I think, is, as an overall prospect, I think he might be the best because he's a brilliant defensive midfielder. He's also a very good fullback. He's a little bit small and a little bit undersized at centre-back. But from a leadership standpoint, he is head and shoulders above everybody here. But as a def- as a central defender... Yeah, he might be next. Um, Then I'll go Jules Kunde. Then I'll go Fafana. Based on where they are now, Konate and Upamecano. So from the top, Upamecano, Konate, Fafana, Kunde, Kamara, Badiashil, Koase, Saliba and Zagadou as centre-backs as all-round players Kamara's number one I think I do actually think that Uh, and that's it that is all those Twitter questions so thank you to everybody who sent those in very much appreciated Um, little bits and pieces of gossip just to wrap up then United are interested in Hakim Chalanaglu who is uh, coming short on his contract with AC Milan uh, wouldn't really make any sense at all, given they have Bruno and Danny van de Beek. So expect them to sign him. Uh, Liverpool are interested in David Alaba, whose contract talks have fallen apart with Bayern. 
I mean, I, I, I love him. I <laughs> think he's one of the best players in the world. Um, so if they could get him, it would be incredible. Uh, I, I don't believe Liverpool will get him because I, I just, I never expect Liverpool to sign world class players. I'm still shocked that they signed Thiago, but um, like established world class players. I mean, they sign them and tend to develop them into that. Van Dijk was arguably world class when they signed him, but aside from that, doesn't really happen all that often. Liverpool face competition from AC Milan for Schalke's Turkish centre-back Ozan Kabak. I don't think Liverpool will actually pursue that, if I'm being honest. I think that one might have fallen by the wayside after the spitting incident, which is very, very unfortunate because he is a very, very good defender and I do really like him. But uh, he'll go on and have a great career wherever he goes. Uh, Tottenham's hopes of agreeing a new contract with Youngman's son have been boosted by the South Korean joining the same agency as Mourinho, but Mourinho says this will have no influence on Son's contract talks. You can be guaranteed it will have an influence on how much money he gets paid. Uh, Jorge Mendes does not leave money on the table. He is about to get paid, and rightly so. He's, I think he's Spurs' best player. I do. I think he's the best player at the club. I think he's incredible. I, I absolutely love Son. I think he's just phenomenal. Um, English midfielder John Lundstrom is set to leave Sheffield United after contract talks broke down. 26-year-old has been linked with Burnley and Crystal Palace. I actually think he'd be a really good fit at Crystal Palace. Um, he'd be a good fit at Burnley as well, but they don't really need him. They're, they're kind of already sorted in midfield. Um, but at, at Crystal Palace, I think he'd be, he'd be a nice fit. Um... Barcelona's hopes of keeping Leo Messi have been boosted. Uh, that Now that Bartomeu has has resigned as president, that was always going to be the case. Uh, Manchester United have joined Barcelona and Juventus in showing interest in Ajax's 18-year-old Dutch midfielder Ryan Gravenberch. He's incredibly talented. He's fantastically talented. And it's no surprise to see United uh, having a look. Whether they can convince him to go there, I don't know, but they're certainly doing the right things by uh, by marking his card and, and, and making sure they keep a close eye. Arsenal and Germany defender Schroeder Mustafi says he has not discussed a new contract with the Premier League side, and rumours are that he wants to stay. Well, he would want to stay because no one else is going to pay him that kind of money. Simple as that. He's on about 120k a week, and nobody else is going to offer him close to that. So it's in his interest to stay. It's in Arsenal's interest to make sure he goes as far away from the club as is humanly possible. Arsenal wanted to send English midfielder Reese Nelson out on loan this season, but the 20-year-old insisted on staying and fighting for a place in Mikel Arteta's team. Uh, commendable but misguided. Get the boy out on loan in January. Simple as that. He needs to go and play somewhere. Um, he's too good to be sitting way, way down on the bench and in the stands most weeks. Former Arsenal manager Arsene Wenger believes the European Super League would destroy the Premier League. And he is correct because the the, the top four teams, maybe the top six, would all be leaving. They would be leaving to join the, um, the European Super League. People need to get it into their heads. This would not run alongside the Premier League. This would replace the Premier League for those teams. Do you really think that if Liverpool, United, Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea and City turned around and said, right lads, what we're going to do now is we're going to take part in this 
big global European Super League, and we're going to be flying all over the world. So we're going to need you to just, you know, tweak the schedule a little bit just to suit us because uh, these games are going to be midweek, so we can't have any midweek Premier League games. Not a chance. Not a chance. They'd be, they'd be told to pick one or the other, and they would pick that. So um, I've heard people suggest that, you know, oh, they'd have a 16-team, um, a 16 or 18-team European Super League, and those games would be alongside the Premier League. No, they wouldn't. Just consider what you're suggesting. You're suggesting that the, that every team plays 68 games a season. That's on an 18-team Premier League and an 18-team European Super League. You think teams are going to play 68 league matches a season? Think about it. They won't need the Premier League. Because if those teams leave, along with Real, Barca, Bayern, Juve, Inter, AC Milan, whoever, all of the money from the domestic leagues will flood to that European Super League, as will all the Champions League money. And remember, they're moving away from UEFA. It would be under FIFA. UEFA oversees the English League. So they would just say, those teams can't play. So yes, it would destroy the Premier League. It would... It would turn the Premier League basically into the championship in terms of the finances in the game. That's that's what it would do. If you take the big six out of the Premier League, all the money will go with them. It's a sad fact of it. It just is. So, yes, Arsene Wenger is right. Uh, West Brom are due to offer uh, Matthias Pereira a new contract just two months after signing him. I think this is a clever move because... If they can insert some sort of relegation release clause that's fairly high, uh, that would be beneficial. But also, if they go down, and right now it doesn't look good, if they go down, maybe that will convince them to go down with them. And if they could bring him, Diangana, and Carolyn Grant down, they'd have a really good chance of coming straight back up. Like a really, really good chance of coming straight back up. So this is a clever move. I'm all in favour of that. And finally, QPR are hoping to extend the contract of Bright Assay Samuel, um, despite interest in him from Celtic. I think he'd be right to stay where he is. I don't think he'd fit at Celtic properly. Celtic play that turgid back three under Neil Lennon, uh, who's doing a fantastic job of messing up the ten in a row. Well done, Neil. Well done, indeed. Um, And that's it. That is our show for today. Thank you to everybody who sent in those Twitter questions. They were greatly appreciated. Thank you to Guy Drinkle, as always, for his um, his production work on this podcast. Thank you to you for listening. Thank you to Fox Haunt for our title music. And that's me out of here. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.